0: Welcome to J Life with Daniel. I'm your host, Rabbi Daniel Levine. Okay, well, today we are in for a treat. I am here with Rabbi Mike Harvey. Rabbi Mike Harvey has just written a new book called Let's Talk, A Rabbi Speaks to Christians. It's quite an excellent book. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but Rabbi Mike is a graduate and was ordained by HUC in Cincinnati. He has a master's degree in Hebrew letters. He's worked for a number of congregations throughout the Midwest. He's a social justice advocate, and he also Created and continues a monthly podcast with an Episcopal priest called A Rabbi and a Priest Walk into a Bar. Mike, thank you so much for coming on J Life with Daniel.
1: Thank you so much for having me. So
0: it seems like a lot of your work is intersected in the interfaith space. Is there something that specifically inspired you that brought you to want to tailor so much of your career towards that?
1: You know, I, I can point to the exact moment when I recognized that that's where I wanted to focus my rabbinate. It was my first year in seminary at HUC. Um, before that, certainly I was involved in education. I liked, you know, um, helping be the Jewish voice in, in an overall non, non-Jewish world and, and providing that informally. Uh, but when I was In my first year in in HUC in Jerusalem, we had the opportunity to meet with a group of of seminary students from the Swedish Institute, Um, Mm. and uh, they came and spoke to us. And I I just loved the questions that they asked, how uh, interested they were, how kind everybody was and all the things that we could learn from each other, so much so that when it came time for us to return the favor and go visit their seminary, they had come to HUC, um, I volunteered to be the uh, contact point to lead that, you know, uh, group together to do it. And I felt this buzz of, you know, this is fruitful work. It's, fun work, it's important work. And I continued that throughout my training in seminary in Cincinnati, anytime that there would be uh, opportunities that would arise, and they would arise, you know, once a month, twice a month, maybe more than that, where the director would say, hey, there's a church or there's a Catholic school or something nearby, and they want someone to come and speak about Judaism, who wants to do it? And the way that the director did it was that, like, you know, first come, first serve, whoever got to his email first got to do it. And Mm. so I rushed to do it every time, ended up teaching at um, Catholic schools, ended up teaching at churches all over Ohio and beyond, um, and just built more and more experience um, in that. And so uh, I took all the classes about that. You know, I, I went on interfaith um You know, trips, um, if there was a summer program that was offered, whether it be at the Chautauqua Institution or the Bossay Institute in Switzerland or AJWS, American Jewish World Service, um, I was there. I was on it. And awesome. um, it became my identity as a rabbi even before I entered um, or exited seminary and entered my world as an ordained rabbi.
0: There is something really invigorating. You know, one, one of my um, most interesting and best memories so far, I've been a rabbi in the field for, I just had my five year uh, anniversary here, was being on an interfaith panel at a mega church here in Anaheim. It was called Eastside Christian Church. And I was so taken aback in in a good way at the size of the production and just how many people came and were interested. And what I was most impressed by was actually from the point of view of the church, you know, one of the things that I often think in terms of Judaism, which is sort of a constant theme here on this podcast, is Judaism, regardless of what strain of Jewish thought you belong to, is relatively pluralistic. We sort of have that baked in with the ethos of the Talmud and just the fact that, you know, you ask two Jews any question and we'll, you know, spread out three to seven opinions, depending on what it is. Oftentimes, I think there's there's a stereotype that Christianity is a lot more dogmatic, a lot more top down, sort of a lot less room. Certainly in medieval Christianity, the sort of stereotype, a lot less room for that. So I remember being really impressed that they were willing to have me, along with a Muslim, along with a Buddhist and a Hindu, up there answering questions, not just easy questions, quote unquote, which is what does your tradition think about God. I remember towards the end there was a question that they asked which is, what does your faith tradition think about Jesus? And I remember I had talked to the pastor before the panel and I said, you know, I'm gonna have to say, you know, at best, we don't think of him that much. (laughs) You know, obviously, you know, we can dig up, you know, Jewish writings of not being very happy. But, you know, so my answer was sort of, you know, I know it may seem like Jews are the people who rejected Jesus, but from a Jewish point of view, It's like saying that Christians are the people who rejected the Quran or Allah, right? It's just, you don't don't base your identity around what you've rejected. And he was like, great. So go say that. It's really important that my congregants hear that. And I was really, really impressed. I'm wondering. That is impressive. So just in sort of the the wider picture, how has that sort of been been received even before getting to, to your book when you were in rabbinic school and going and talking to all these various Christian groups? Were you received? Did people try to challenge you? What was that sort of like?
1: You know, I've been through so, met, so many interfaith panels, interfaith lectures, um, interfaith services that I've experienced pretty much uh, the best and the worst. Um, I think you're right when you talk about the stereotype that within Christianity, there is sort of a dogma, a creed, that there's a stability, um, you know, that's not so much. However, what I learned quite quickly is that, um, certainly when I was in Switzerland with the World Council of Churches, is that there's 40,000 denominations of Christianity in the world, um, and they all have different opinions about each other and about the authenticity, and that comes out very quickly when you have more than one Christian uh, representative on a, uh, on a panel, just as if, you know, if I were to sit on a panel, it would be different from an Orthodox do a rabbi sitting on a panel, um, and so I try to keep that in mind whenever um, I am I'm called to do these things. But you know, I've had incredible um, experiences where people, even uh, leaders, have had aha moments. You mm. know, that they knew nothing about Reform Judaism, or they knew nothing about um, you know the beginnings of Judaism. You know, and uh, or the beginnings of Christianity in the first century. And I've had pretty extreme pushback. Um, you know, people who've said, you know, uh, this is, you know, this is how I feel and I'm not, I'm not moving about it. Or, you know, I remember walking into a church I was supposed to speak at and they were serving dinner and a guy comes up to me and he says, um, you know, I forget what year this was. It's gotta be you know, 2013 or something like that. And, you know, he was talking about the economy not doing well. And, uh, and I said, yeah, no, it's, it's sort of worrisome. And he, he said, you know, well, when the Jews are worried then I'm worried, hmm. you know, little, little things out, this was in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, but like, you know, little things that, that I've encountered, you know, I, I was stunned silence. And then now I know exactly how to, you know, you have to train yourself, how to respond, how to teach, but I've experienced, you know, wonderfully warm, welcome, warmer welcomes than some synagogues, uh, frankly, and, um, and sort of the opposite of, of, I think what people go in and say what they fear will occur, um, when you're in that minority. And I'll I'll say also that I've worked with a great deal of, um, Uh, Muslim leaders who who've experienced the same. um, And I've stood by them during both. Um, But I I think it, you know, it depends where you are and who you're talking to.
0: Yeah. And I, I have noticed just in my work on campus over the past couple of years, there are, you know, there has been a high, high number of students that are currently Christian and students with a Christian background that are just so interested in Judaism, because we obviously share some of the same foundational texts, but with radically different ways of understanding and in terms of the Talmud and Midrash or rabbinic tradition. And I just remember, you know, over over my years working on campus, just the number of Christian students I've met that have just been so fascinated, not from a, let me try to convince you why this makes no sense, but from a, I had no idea. I didn't even know the Talmud existed. I just thought Jews were- just the people of, you know, in their words, the Old Testament. And I was very confused as to how that, you know, translated into the modern Jewish community in Los Angeles, because, you know, for those listeners who aren't exactly familiar, you know, reading the Torah literally and then going to any modern Jewish community, it, it's not exactly clear how we got from one stage to another. Um, right. So I, I sure. always sort of think of that in the back of my head. Moving along to the to the book. So you had all these experiences And what actually inspired you, if if you don't mind taking maybe 30 seconds to a minute of just sort of summarizing (laughs) the book, and then we'll sort of get into the inspiration for it.
1: Sure. The book, um, Let's Talk, A Rabbi Speaks to Christians, is basically not a Judaism 101 book, but rather uh, a book that speaks about Jewish views and perspectives about Christian thought and vice versa. Um, and how some might be problematic, um, things that Christians aren't taught, um, but but Jews know, and an opportunity for us to educate each other. That's basically a elevator sale. Um, the book itself started to take form in my last congregation uh, at, in Temple Israel in West Lafayette, Indiana, though before that I had already started to um, in my head, put together uh, sort of the beginnings of it. And, and that was basically that, as you know, because I was such an, inter, such an interfaith rabbi and still am, whenever there was an interfaith coalition or leadership, whatever, I was there. I was the director. I was leading. I mean, you know, I was the interfaith guy. And so I befriended so many uh, Christian clergy, uh, not just uh, in my home hometown, but, you know, wherever I went. And I started to get phone calls from them or emails from them saying, you know, uh, Mike, I'm giving a sermon on this, or our, our Old Testament reading or a prophets reading is about this. And I'd, I would love to know what you guys think about. Is this wrong? Is this right? You know, what's this Hebrew word mean? I'm trying to do this for, you know, And I loved every, And I said, look, just send me any question, email it, call. I'm, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a rabbi. This is what I want to do. And then I started to see sort of patterns of um, answers that I would give. I'm like, well, um, I know you think this, but actually let me suggest this. And I started to say to myself, you know, um, I don't know if every clergy group in every city has a rabbi mic. Maybe they do. Or an equivalent, um, but if they don't, then wouldn't it be great if they had a handbook? If they had a book that represented these sort of things? as if you have a question about this particular view, or you don't know enough about this, or you, you want to learn about this, um, you know? And in the back of the book, there's a scriptural index, meaning like uh, you know, uh, what is what is this Matthew term, or what is this whatever it is? Um, you've got my book for that, and that's what I wanted to put out there. Um, You know, I don't want Christian clergy to stop using rabbis as a resource far from it, but I'd like them, you know, in a pinch to have this as a resource, as a handbook um, on their shelves uh, so that they can do what they want to do, which is teach the way that is respectful and, and, um, and full in terms of the Jewish and Christian perspective and get it right.
0: Yeah, and it really is an incredible book and it really doesn't just stay at surface level. You really, I, I was really impressed by the level of scholarship of really getting into the weeds. I, I I, read it and I knew most of the references, but I even found myself on Wikipedia, you know, what's this obscure reference? And so it was, it was definitely a learning experience for me, interestingly enough. I also, just a little bit of background, had the privilege of serving as one of the recommenders, recommendations, not sure exactly if that's an adjective or verb, <laughs> one of the things that I really appreciated was this attempt to take ideas, stories, narratives in the Christian world and sort of dissect them to some extent. You can tell me if I'm not phrasing this in sort of the way that you're thinking about it, but almost try to surgically remove the parts of it that could seem anti-Semitic or the history is engulfed in anti-Semitism while still keeping sort of the main parts. So you're, you're, you're very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is really yeah. difficult because yes. some people might see that and say, why are you trying to change our traditions? Other people right. from another side might come with an optical skeptical view, which, you know, certainly come up when I've had conversations with friends and colleagues of mine about Christianity, which they say, well, that's not really possible. The whole thing's sort of rooted in, at least from maybe the third or fourth century on, a rejection, if not downright disapproval of everything Jews are doing. So how was that process? And do you think, I know this is a very loaded question, so feel free to take this however you want. Is it possible to sort of uncover a ideal type or pure Christian theology or ideology that even somebody that's continuously steeped in that, that, you know, believes it top to bottom, won't harbor any resentment towards the Jews who obviously loom large within, for sure, the New Testament, but also subsequent Christian literature?
1: You know, it's a, it's a good question. It's a loaded question. I, I think that my market for this book, um, certainly there are Jews who can learn cool stuff and, you know, be prepared so that if, uh, you know, someone approaches them, they've got it. Um, progressive Christians who know a, a great deal of this, but would have aha moments through that. Um, But the real uh, person I'm trying to get to is that person sort of in between, not on the far right, who we know is going to be offended, who's going to burn the book, who's going to say, you're telling me what to do, you're so rude, you're, you know, all all that stuff that we, that we see. That's not really uh, realistic in terms of, um, you know, who I'm looking to read the book, but there are, what I'm looking for is that, that quiet person in the church in the pews who holds strong views, um, you know, traditional views, particular views, um, but isn't looking to start a fight, isn't looking to uh, reject anything, is open a little bit to these sort of things and will read the book, maybe they'll agree with some things, maybe they'll disagree with some things, but it will start a conversation uh, that they weren't sure how to have before and trying to find that balance um you know i i want to be respectful this is important stuff people think that uh, or believe rather that you know the gospels are historical or sacred or divine um and so to uh to say we're not going to talk about that, that theology today if we're going to say we're, we're going to pull it apart and say actually you know the anti-Semitism, the anti-Judaism here isn't a misinterpretation. It's actually mm-hmm. a correct interpretation. Um, and try to remember that uh, we have the same problem on our side, right? My senior sermon at HUC years and years ago was about um, all the problematic aspects in the Tanakh and what are we supposed to do with them? Um, we can't get rid of them. You know, should we talk about them? Should do we not talk about them? Do we have to address them? How, how exhausting is it to always talk about, you know, that's the conversation um, to have that balance there. And I, I think it was, you know, through the editing process, uh, it went sort of back and forth. Some things were a little too far. Some things didn't go far enough, uh, depending on who you ask, you know, and, um, you know, I, I like to be gentle, but stern, in terms of some of the seriousness that can come out, but I only tolerate certain certain levels um, and so that was the balance that I was trying to find.
0: yeah, and I think the seriousness definitely does come out. I remember a couple years ago one of my professors slash rabbis said something that it took me years to realize how true it was, which is we were we were talking about interfaith. And when I was in undergrad, I mean, this is already a number of years ago, but when I was in undergrad, I was very involved in interfaith. I was sort of the Hillel board representative to the wider interfaith community at UCLA. And I did a lot of work with different Christian groups on campus and with the Muslim Student Association on campus and you know, spent a lot of my time in these spaces having these conversations. And I remember one, one of my rabbis who also taught a class sat me down and said, you know, there's a really interesting thing you start to notice about large interfaith gatherings. And I said, you know, what is it? And he said, well, in the beginning you walk in and you know, he was talking about multi-day conferences. So day one at breakfast, you have, you know the Jews sitting at one table, Christians at one table Muslims on another table, you know maybe people are being cordial and going over and saying hi. And then he says, but then by the second and third day something weird happens. And you actually find you have the fundamentalists sitting at one table and the liberal or progressive religious people, you know regardless of what tradition sitting at another table. And the longer I spend sort of in the liberal Jewish world, you know, and also in interfaith spaces, I, I realize that that is really interesting. And I, I feel like specifically this book is at such an interesting time because, from from the Jewish perspective, and you know, everyone listening to this podcast is well aware that we have, you know, divisions in the Jewish community ideologically. And without you know spending the next three hours explaining why, you know, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> Obviously, there's more than two denominations, but at least in America, the real divide is between Orthodox and non-Orthodox. Obviously, there's a lot of gray area in between defining Orthodox, defining not orthodox That's an impossible task, so I'll leave that to the, uh, you know, people who want to weigh in uh, in the comment section. Right. In terms of the Christian community, what what's interesting is I'm sure this has existed for you know longer than Judaism, but I've just become attuned. You know through reading the The Atlantic, I think had a wonderful article about how some churches are being taken over by you know QAnon and you know very far right attitudes and things like that. And it was it was written while interviewing a liberal pastor that was basically saying, I don't know what's happening, it just seems like politics is co-opting everything. So I, I'm curious if you want to weigh into this sort of unique glimpse of you know how how well does the Christian community in America mirror the Jewish community, either America or in Israel, where it might be more of a parallel because they are, you know, some sense, the religious and political majority, at least by a policy
1: stance. Right. Um, ironically, that's, uh, the subject of what my next book is going to be about. Um, the, the ongoing sort of fight for Christian theocracy, uh, occurring in our country and the political landscape and that sort of thing. And it's effect on Jews and non-Christians, but, you know, one, I, I think that from what I have seen in my view, which is, you know, as like it's limited to, to what I've seen, but um, and certainly not overarching. But, you know, uh, there is a strong, loud voice uh, to merge uh, Christianity with with politics, to rewrite history, uh, Christian nationalism, Christian uh, supremacy, jingoism um, these sorts of aspects, you know, about the founding fathers, um, all of that is happening with a loud voice from, um, what is becoming, uh, loud enough that we wonder, is it a minority anymore? Right. The fundamentalist, uh, is it a minority more and more so more scary about that is, is the loud voice, the minority, but is, is, is the silence, uh, because, you know, Some people in the middle are actually sort of fine with it. They just don't want to Mm. say it out loud. Um, In my experience, I've experienced that. Um, At the same time, I've experienced a very strong uh, rejection of that uh, from progressive Christians. And um, I've been very grateful for that. But um, as we spoke about earlier, um, the idea of the bystander uh, is... You know, very, very uh, tough to you know to take in that if a bystander is silent, um, are they really with us, or do they just agree with the oppressor and they just didn't want to say anything? Where do people stand? And that's my questions to people: is you know, um, where's the marches? Where's the rallies? Where's the um, stuff? Or is this okay with you? Uh, you're just not happy how they're saying it, right? Is the are the politics what you want anyway? But you know they're just being rude about it or something like that. And that's been my I've been trying to dig into that a little bit more, um, and and carefully and thoughtfully. You know, I know it sounds sort of <laughs> um, a quick remark, you know, but uh, carefully and thoughtfully trying to understand where American Christians, um, you know, the majority, the minority, where they stand on certain things and what they're willing to do, and who they're willing to fight, and when they're willing to, um, mm. you know, rebel, and that sort of thing. And it's because it's a little disheartening at this point because I think people are still sort of in shock with what's happening. Uh, but I think we're starting to see a little bit more movement, uh, and uh, they're coming to me and other Jewish leaders to say, you know, directly. I've had people say, "How do we? How do you want us to do this? You know, how can we?" fight this for you um, and that's a hard question to answer I don't I don't know uh, a lot of the time but that's what we're that's where we are right now
0: yeah it is really interesting I, I had a totally other set of questions I wanted to ask but that last comment just you know something just screamed out of my head because what I've yeah. what what I've seen anecdotally and I think data you know maybe backs us up I'll, I'll let people Google it later is a lot of times especially when you have you know, big Christian communities that want to seem like they're helping the Jewish community, they oftentimes funnel it through, through Zionism and through very particular right-wing evangelical m- movements towards Israel, which is missing the point for, for a whole bunch of reasons. But yes, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've, you know, I, I live in Orange County, which is, you know, pretty split in terms of blue and red, but we definitely have you know, a good amount of older Republican Christians. A- and it is really interesting, you know, when I talk to them, you know, I, I walk around with the kippa, So, you know, I'm sort of a 24-7 public Jew. And, and oftentimes I'll talk to them about, you know, random stuff. And and they'll say, well, but I I donate or my church donates a lot to Israel. So as if that somehow absolves of, of any other other ideas. Yeah. So you said that I just had to, had to sort of get that out.
1: Uh, please do. And I. it's infuriating. Um, Christian Zionism is infuriating. Um, and we hear that a lot, not just from politicians, but um, elsewhere being like, you know, we, we say, well, this is anti-Semitic. And they're like, we can't be anti-Semitic. We support Israel. Except for the fact that Christian Zionism has nothing to do with um, supporting the Jews there. Christian Zionism um, has the goal of Getting Jews to go to Israel and supporting Israel so that it can be the base plate for the second coming and the apocalypse and all that sort of stuff. In other words, um, the goal is to eradicate us um, and the world to be converted, and that's why they support Israel. So when when a Christian says to me that, um, you know, I can't be anti-Semitic, I support Israel, um, you know, I say to them, you know, that's not actually a response uh Mm
0: -hmm. that actually
1: does not help your case at all and i've i've encountered even more brash people who say like you know um christians gave you your your land back as in like as, as in like the un you know like you should just be grateful and we can just do whatever we want you know and and basically like because the un voted for the state of israel um it's okay that they take charge and convert us all. Yeah. Um, so I, I find Christian Zionism to be, like I said, just infuriating and how people don't recognize that. Um, because, you know, at the, at the very base level, I'm not an Israel, I, I'm a diaspora American Jew. Um, certainly, I've lived in Israel, I understand the importance of Israel. But when it comes to addressing anti Semitism in America, Um, I don't necessarily feel the need to discuss Israel at all. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. And I I
0: think I might've said this on a previous podcast, but I'm becoming more and more convinced whenever wider bodies in America talk about Israel, this includes the far right. This includes the far left. This also includes to a large degree, the American Jewish community. They're really using it as a metaphor for, for here. And so a lot of times when I hear about Christian Zionism, I oftentimes, well, the inverse of that claim is that you don't want there to be any Jews here. Which, you know, I don't know if that's totally fair, you know, logical derivation from from the idea, but oftentimes that's what my mind immediately goes to because again, you know, Israel is allegorized in just so many ways by so many people, you know, because of the religious and geopolitical significance. But, you know, anytime anybody has these grandiose ideas about Israel, whether it's from the right or the left or religious, not religious, I always take that with a with a little bit of skepticism.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I I've on every year when I was a rabbi and Yom Hazikaron or Yom Atu came around, you know, it was my least favorite sermon to give. I didn't want to talk about it. There was, I was always going to piss somebody off, um, and usually I ended up saying, like, look, I I'm not a like uh, the rabbi. Who's like all into Israel politics? I couldn't tell you everyone who's in the Knesset. You know, I don't. You know, I. You know, I'm anti-settlement. I want human rights. You know, but that's about as far as I'm going to talk to you about it. Like my specialty, my expertise is Jewish Christian relations in the diaspora, specifically in America. And so I try very hard to avoid those conversations, which is getting harder and harder, by the way. But um, but it's just something that I'm just not. I don't feel I have the expertise to speak on, and I think i I don't want to put people in a, a position where they're listening to me and my views might be uninformed or overinformed in certain ways, or whatever it is. And with the politics and the religion, whether it's reform or it's orthodox or it's left or right, um, it's too complicated for me. Um, and I say, look, you know, if you want to talk about that, I can recommend some great rabbis who are great about it. They teach about it. They know how to speak about it. That's not my jam. Um, you know, I apologize, but I'm not your guy to talk Israel with.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. So what are one or two interesting facts, interesting ideas, you know, you can go as, you know, whatever direction you want on this about Jewish Christian relations in America, really your, your expertise.
1: Sure. So the one thing I'll say that I think a lot of people are a little taken aback by, but eventually nod and understand, is that the majority of American Christians know nothing about Judaism. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing.
0: Yes, I can. Um, I, sorry to cut you off. I can, I can sign on 100%. I, I, I teach an intro to Jewish text class at UC Irvine. And, you know, I've had some great Christian students and I I am always, you know, not, not even stunned anymore. It's just as if knowing zero, but yeah,
1: we're done being surprised by this. We now have to accept it and move forward. The only aspects of Judaism that American Christians mostly know of is the very skewed perception of us in the gospels in the gospel writings. Um, a very ahistorical, almost laughable view of who we were in the first century. Um, so there's that problem. And then virtually nothing about what separates first century Judaism, second temple Judaism from modern Judaism, biblical Judaism from rabbinical Judaism. Um, so again, the, when we say nothing, the nothing carries into many categories of nothing. Mm-hmm. That they know, and if you're going to talk about, you, know, you need to get a handle on those things uh, first. Otherwise, you're I mean, I don't mind questions like that, but um, one, you're going to get some very irrelevant questions, um, very um, accusatory questions, some misperceptions. To say nothing of the anti-Jewish vibes that occur in the Gospels, which makes things worse. Um, and so, when I sit down at the table with a, a Christian colleague or in front of a lecture hall with a group of Christians, my my aura has to be these people know nothing. The only thing they know is Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, and all of that's wrong. you know um, and so they need to relearn and unlearn and and then they'll be ready to learn, learn. And it's a daunting task, but We're able to do it little by little with little aha moments because little aha moments get them to start to say, what if that isn't quite right? Mm. Um, I want to know more. And when they do that, then we've got them on the right path. It's the ones who don't get there that we're not making any progress with. The ones who, you know, just as if an ultra-Orthodox Jew or a Chabad rabbi, you know, I would meet with Chabad rabbis all the time. Um, who would say like, no, the, the Torah is divine. And I would say, well, we don't have much to talk about then If you believe that the Torah is perfect and divine, whatever, then, you know, that's that's a stopping point. In the same way, if a Christian says, look, the gospels are perfect, they're historical, everything happened in them, I'd say, well, there's not much for us to go to there. Um, you know, that's, that's a stopping point for us. But those who are able to push a little bit past that, um, little by little, I've seen have been able to do that. But Overall, to answer your question, uh, American Christians uh, are deeply in need of Jewish education.
0: Yeah, it's also really interesting because when I was in grad school, I, I did a lot about the academic study of religion. And, you know, the word religion is, is a new word, you know, it goes back only to the, the 1800s. And it was, you know, created by Christian Protestant scholars to define religion very much in a Christian sense. And so many of the definitions we use in the Western world, ethnicity, nation, you know, all, all these words that basically everyone knows now, but if you stepped in a time machine and went to some, you know, medieval village, nobody would have any idea what you're talking about. These are Christian words, not, not to say that they're they are bad, but to say that Judaism just doesn't fit into any of these categories. So even right. saying Judaism is a religion, well, uh, there's a lot that doesn't work there. Judaism is an ethnicity. Well, a lot that doesn't work there. Judaism's a nation, Correct. a lot that doesn't work there. And even that idea just seems so tough. I, I remember, you know, one of the first classes, um, I, I always ask the question of, you know, the, the course is, is Intro to Jewish Text. So I start by asking, well, what's a Jewish text? And then to answer that question, well, what makes someone Jewish? And so I, I gave a number of examples of different texts. And I asked, is this a Jewish text? Is this a Jewish text? And some of them are, you know, Spinoza's book, is this, you know, is this a Jewish <laughs> text, right, written by, you know, probably one of the most famous Jews in history, obviously not a very religious text, but it is in some way, you know, he brings in a lot of biblical metaphors, and the students are just, you know, th- the need to see in these sort of gray area, ill-defined categories, especially about Judaism, I think is is so important. And so it seems like, you know, it, it is a very interesting conversation to have, especially because you know, it's almost like the joke of the fish doesn't realize it's swimming in water when when everything is labeled in terms and categories that are your home court terms. It's so hard to see how somebody else doesn't fit into those categories that you sort of want to pre prescribe on onto the rest of society. So that's a really a really interesting point.
1: And I, I fully agree with you that, um, you know, these Christian terms or um, even if they're not Christian terms, you know, they're terminology that doesn't necessarily fit within Jewish theology, Jewish history. When we say, um, are we, what the heck are we? Are we an ethno-religion? Like, what does that even mean? You know, there, I tell people, look, I have taken multiple classes at PhD level, um, you know, courses that are called, what is Judaism? What is a Jew? Who is a Jew? And the truth is like, you know, the the challenge, we know who we are. The challenge is trying to explain it. In a Christian world, um, and it's hard. It's hard to do that. And what's more problematic is that because it is so limited in this translation of you know we're not quite a nation, we're not whatever. Assumptions are made, and and things are made on top of that, right? So you have uh, right now like the the new evangelical movement of messianic uh, of the messianics who say you know well Judaism is an ethnicity, and I can be Jewish and I can. Uh, believe in jesus and we're like whoa well first of all no it's not and second of all, no you can't you know uh, according to jewish law and they're like yes we can so besides the you know imperialistic aspect of that but the idea is from a terminology point of view assumptions are made from a christian point of view that just don't work in translation to uh the complexities uh of judaism and that's another challenge that we find in jewish christian relations
0: yeah that's really really fascinating Is there anything else that we didn't touch, any other topic, any future content coming out that you just want to sort of tell, tell the community about?
1: Well, um, you know, I think that right now, you know, I'm trying to focus on, um, you know, helping people to read the book, to ask questions. Um, I'm thinking about putting together a, not a curriculum, so to speak, but a, maybe study sheet or or discussion questions on my website to go along with the book for book clubs or for adult education to get people talking about it and to learn about it from that point of view, because, um, while it's a 200 page book, it's a breeze. uh, there's a, there's depth in it. There's stuff in it that, you know, if a rabbi or a pastor or a priest is teaching from it, uh, that can use some questions at the end or the, um, you know, the key points at the end and things like that. I, I want it to be not just another book on the shelf. I want it to be a go-to, uh, wait, I think Rabbi Mike talked about this. Before we talk about Good Samaritan, let me, let me just check. Before we talk about this, let me check. And um, I want to be that resource. I want Christians to have that resource. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to not only get the book out, but, uh, you know, I'm going to start a new podcast about it to just sort of talk about it and talk about questions that I've gotten about it. You know, the future books that I'm going to write are going to be based on some of the feedback, what's missing, what, um, you know, what people are, are dying to learn about. Um, I want to gear my, um, you know, ability to educate to the audience and what they need. And so this was the first step. And we're still very much, you know, it, it came out less than a month ago. Um, still in the very first steps of this um, educational tool, and so I'm going to see how how far that can go.
0: Well, a huge Mazal on the book being out. You can find the book on Amazon. Anywhere else is it on
1: Barnes and Noble, and also um, you know some of the other independent and smaller uh, booksellers are now getting it. Um, if there's a a bookstore that uh, you'd rather buy from rather than Amazon or Barnes and Noble—they can always special order it. We've seen that happen all the time, um, and they know how to do that. So you can pretty much get it anywhere.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Mike Harvey, for coming on j again. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much. <laughs>